you know, baptizing him. So he tells us to go make disciples. I was so convinced that discipleship had been funneled all into this one thing. Discipleship had been funneled in to really knowing Jesus. And that's part of the gospel. And that's part of following Jesus. But what I really came convinced of, that it's not just being a disciple of Jesus, but being a discipler of Jesus. So then we asked everybody in the church, we asked the church family, we came together, we're unified in the Lord, and we said, look, we feel the Lord leading us today to say this, to say that it ought to be everybody in this church family that calls himself part of Summit, we're asking you to disciple one person. Now, it might be five people, three people, 10 people, 12 people, 20 people for some of you, but everybody can do one. It could be a child, it could be a grandparent, it could be a coworker, family member, one. We can all do one. And so that was our word for the year. We made these shirts invest, hashtag invest, everything, and it was great. But then this year, I've been, been really working through this passage and really trying to see really what God has for us for this year. And what was the one year that would be the theme that would be specific for the Summit family? What, would, what was the one year word that God would have us rely upon for the whole year that we're going to need as we follow the Lord? Like, being a, being a Christian is not positional. You, you understand what I'm saying? It is not positional. It's not I'm on the Christian team and it's a position. No, Christianity is a movement where you listen to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's at work out here in places you don't even know about and I don't know about, but then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit within us connects with the Holy Spirit over there and we're drawn and we do things. And so God's going to move us into places as we move, as Jesus would say, in him we live and move and have our being, Paul would write. And so we, we've got to understand what it means to follow Jesus. So here's the word. It's already on your card. It's on Facebook. I waited till this morning to put it on there. Here's the word. The word for the year. And I know some of you are going to say, well, I heard this word and it doesn't even sound really cool. It doesn't sound all this. But I want you to know this word, I, hopefully I can explain it well today because I believe the Holy Spirit's going to use it mightily and speak through me. The word for the year is this, that every one of us are going to have to hold on to for the whole year long. The word for the year is hope. Now I know you're going, that doesn't sound really hot. But I want you to know, as I've studied, I now have a clear understanding of hope like I've never had before. So Lord Jesus, we ask that you would do a miracle and make your word real to us today, Lord. We ask that you would do something mighty and that we cannot understand or even uh, comprehend without the greatness of you, Lord Jesus. So we ask you to do something mightily that can only be attributed to you by the power of your Holy Spirit. So would you make this word clear to us, Lord? We ask this today in the matchless name, the resurrected name, the one and only name, the name that is above every name, and his name is what, saints? Well, you said that with all authority. In his name we pray, amen. So you must have had a long New Year's night. All right, so let's turn in Colossians chapter 1. And let's look where this came from. Where is this? So we're going to take these next couple weeks. And I don't even want to put a time limit on God. I mean, it cracks me up. All these pastors like, oh, we've got the whole year planned out with all our sermons. I bet after 2001, 9-11, I bet some sermons changed. How about you? Huh? Well, okay. So Colossians 1.27. Here's why hope is so important. Colossians 1.27 says this at the very end of the verse. This is why it is the year for hope. He says this, Christ in what, saints? You don't know. Christ in what? The hope of what? See, here's the deal. If you want to have hope, if you want to have hope, you have to have Christ in you. Christ can't be with your friend, can't be with your parent, can't be with your grandparent, can't be with your grandchild, can't be with your boss, can't be with your pastor, can't be with your discipler, your mentor. It can't be with that person. It can't be there in that environment. It has to be in us. He has to be in us. For us to have hope, he has to be in us. Now, let me explain this. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says this. Now, these three remain. Anybody have a guess? Faith, hope, and love. Say faith with me. Faith, say hope, and love. All right, so now, but the greatest of these is love. Why? I'm going to explain something to you that no one ever explained to me. 
outside of the Spirit of God. And then as I was reading some John, it became clear, oh, this is what the Word of God is saying. Here's what hope is. Hope is this. Hope is the idea, I see my wife Lynette, okay? And I go, woo! She looks really good. Hopefully, she feels the same about me. Now, my father-in-law is in here, and he will tell you that that's not always the case. Lynette felt that way about me. In fact, the first time my father-in-law saw me, it was about 35 degrees outside, and I had shorts on, and I weighed 300, none of your business. Actually, it was like in the upper 290s, so don't judge me. And, um, he, and I had a mohawk, and it was dyed blonde in a rat tail. They'll tell you, that, don't judge me. And I had my nice little motorcycle, and I thought I was cool. So I had my little rat tail hanging out in the mo- Does anybody not like the 80s in here? What is wrong with y'all people? And so I just remember my, I was, I was standing there watching my wife play field hockey, right? And so I'm standing there watching the night game. I didn't know my father and mother-in-law. I hadn't met them yet. So they come to the game, and all I know is that my wife told me that my father-in-law said to her was, please, no, please don't let that be him. Please do not let that be him. And now he's stuck with me. All right, anyway, um, (laughs) but what I'm trying to say, so I looked at her and I said, wow, man, I hope one day she will be my wife. So that's what hope. Hope is the idea. Hope is the idea. Hope is the idea, the spiritual idea that God gives you. That's what hope is. Hope carries emotion. I saw my wife. I said, wow, I like her. Now, I'm not saying she liked me, but I liked her. So I said, wow, I like you. So now, what is faith? Faith is now I have the idea of hope. I hope I'm making this real simple. Robbie, help me out now, brother. Y'all, my amen corner over there. If it's free, give me three. Look at y'all, the three of me, me go, uh, Okay, here we go. I was trying to be correct in my Spanish. All right, so here's what happens. So faith is the action of the hope. Did you get what I just said? Faith is not an idea. Faith is the action of the idea. Oh, you don't believe me, do you? Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is an action, not an idea. I have faith in whatever. No, you have hope in whatever, and then you act out your hope called faith. So hope is, I want to marry her. So a faith produces in me an action because the hope is so strong that opens the window of my heart because now all of a sudden I begin to like my wife. So now the window of my heart is open. I act out. I got to take a risk, right? I got to take a risk. Even if she says no, it's better off her saying no than me just living in this little cell saying I like her and do nothing. So then I take faith and I step out because I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to step out and say, introduce myself and try to talk to her and ask her if she wants to go and hang out. All right, so here's what happens. So faith produces this, the hope produces this action called faith. And now when I act on faith, faith and hope, when they align and there's external confirmation, faith and hope align produces love. You know, the Bible says the greatest commandment is what, saints? Love what or who? Come on, talk to me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus comes along and explains what a neighbor, how to do it. He says, love your neighbor as I've loved you. In other words, sacrifice your life for somebody else. All right, so here's what happened. God is not telling you to love him before you have hope and faith in him. God is not telling you to love him before you have faith and hope in him because you can't love somebody you don't know. So what you do is you begin to look at God and you begin to read the Word of God and you begin to hear about God and you say, all of a sudden, these promises, these characteristics of God Almighty produced in the image of Jesus that we see, all of a sudden, He's believable, He's worthy to be trusted, so I put my hope in Him, and now because my hope is, is in Him, I act out or I have faith in what I hope for because even the demons believe in shudder. But the difference is the demons don't act out their belief. They reject their belief. So demon faith is knowing that there's a God and rejecting him. Saving faith 
is knowing that there's a God and surrendering to him. Hope is the idea, and it's not a fantasy. We're talking Christian. It's not like, one day I want to grow up and be a rock star. One day I want to grow up and just wear skinny jeans. Could you see me in skinny jeans, by the way? The Lord help us. No, thank you so much. No, somebody's like, no. I mean, I have a muffin top and a muffin bottom. So, um, get a visual. All right, so, my boy, <laughs> no, I heard you. So, my point is, is that, that that's a fantasy. We're talking, hope is a spiritual idea. Hope is what comes from God. So, it's not a fantasy saying, I want to be LeBron James, or I want to be a rock star, or I want to be a billionaire. That, that could all be fantasy. That's not, that's not hope. Hope is is the spiritual vision that God gives us. And what is our vision at, su- at Summit? Love God, live community, serve others. Love God, live community, serve others. It's laid out, layered. So that's what happens. So it is going to take hope. You're going to have to have hope. You're going to have to have the spiritual idea of what God is telling you because Christianity is a movement. So Christ in you, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Whenever Christ is in something, there's always hope. There will never be a hope in a marriage. There'll never be a hope in your academics. There'll never be a hope that you get out of your singleness. There'll never be a hope that your grandchildren be saved. There'll never be a hope that your finances will change. There'll never be a hope unless Christ is in you. And we got to stop living like Christ is outside of us and start opening the door of our heart that Christ is inside of us. And then all of a sudden, what's inside of us spills out of us. We're always walking around as a pastor. I hear people all the time, well, why don't God do something? Why don't God do something? I wonder to around and say, well, why don't you let God do something? Because you always want God to do something on the outside before you let him on the inside. The last time I checked, I asked my wife to marry me before I ever knew that she would be faithful 25 years later. No, you didn't hear what I said. It took a step of faith for me to ask my wife to marry me when I didn't know she would be faithful. I hoped she would be faithful. I was longing for her to be faithful and wanted her to be faithful and treasured in my heart for her to be faithful. But I didn't know for sure. But what happened to me, the hope of marrying her was so great because it opened up the emotion of light that then God spurned in me this love for her that hopefully is a biblical love that will transfer into sacrificial love, that now I love her, that I'm willing to take a major step of faith and take action and say, will you marry me? That's all spawned in love. So don't begin to try to love something before you have hope and faith in it. So this is why we need hope. Why do we need hope? The first reason the world needs hope, the reason why we need hope, is because hope is what's missing in the world. All I see today is what people can't do. All I see today is what people say they're limited by. Well, I'm limited by my academics, or I'm limited by my degree, or I'm limited by this, I'm limited by that. Praise God that there's certain people, poor groups throughout the world, in America and throughout the world, that don't just say this fatalistic thought, well, I am famished and I am going to die, because all of a sudden God sends some missionary to rescue them in the middle of that, and somehow they get resources of food and finances and things that they would need, just like we do in Ethiopia, And all of a sudden, needs are met because God moved. What's missing is hope. People are always looking for somebody hope. Obama gets elected on the word. Did he not? Change. I don't care who's president. There's only one president for me, and his name is Jesus. And God is not a color. He's a spirit. Our blood is equal. There's only one president in my life. And if the country demands that I do something against the word of God, well, I guess I'll have to face the consequences, won't I? Choose this day whom you will serve, as Joshua said, for me and my house. I love a man who can take care of his house. For me and my house, spiritual leader, you will serve the Lord. So my hope, what's missing is hope. We've looked for man, we've looked for companies, we've looked for change. Everybody wants hope, and the only way to have hope is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
It is the whole secret to the book of Colossians. It's the whole secret to this year. Christ has to be in your relationship. He has to be in your high school. He has to be in your homeschool. He has to be in your job. He has to be in your family. And you say, but my family doesn't even care about Jesus. Well, why does it have to be your family that has to have Jesus? Why can't Jesus be in you who's in the family? Well, I work, my boss is a jerk, John. You understand, they're the most ungodly. And the more I stand for the Lord, the more they hate me. Good. Let them take a swing at Jesus. I guarantee you, he will only be mocked for so long. Won't you read 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and you get that fired notice because God all of a sudden does a mighty work in your life and they fire you because you stand up for Jesus. Take that fire letter, get on your knees, lay it down in front of God just like Hezekiah did in the Bible and you cry out, Lord, they are mocking you and they're making fun of you. Do something and oh, by the way, read the book. God did something. Somebody died but not the man of God. That's what we need is hope. We need you to stand up. Well, I'm just, you know, they just put me down at my school if I just stand up for Jesus. Well, let me ask you something. On Judgment Day, who you want, who you want accepting you? Jesus or your friends? Well, you don't understand that my family, they might reject me. Let me tell you something. Jesus was a man of sorrows. He knows every deep sorrow you felt. You can run to him, and he's not one who just wants to comfort your pain. He feels your pain. Man, that's what we need is we need hope. There needs to be hope in relationships. I'm tired of sitting watching just marriages fall apart. I'm tired of watching children rebel from their parents. I'm tired of people and just what, what, com- what companies could do if they would just surrender to Jesus. But instead, we surrender to the dollar. Because the dollar is our hope. Why is it then if the dollar is our hope, then some of the most miserable people I've met are the wealthiest people. I have been around some wealthy people, and so have you. I've been around some real wealthy people in my life, and they are the most troubled people I've met. Now, I'm not saying that money brings trouble, but I am saying the love of money does. The root of all evil is what? What is it? The love of money. Money isn't evil. Loving it more than God is. So I'm asking you today, where's the hope? Where's the hope? Christ in you. The more Christ is in you, the more he will come out of you. And that's why people say, but I want God to move, John. I want God to move. But Christ isn't moving in them. How's he going to move outside of them? As long as we have Christ in us, then we have hope. We have hope in relationships. You have hope in your singleness. You have hope in your marriage. You have hope when there's a death in the family. You have hope in this country. You have hope in jobs, finances, singleness, dating. If you go, I went and watched, what was it, Google in review? I didn't want to show it because some of the stuff was a little, I mean, it wasn't porn or anything, but it was a little risque. And and I was just watching it, just put it up on YouTube. I said, let me see what the year in review is because I thought that could be kind of cool. It shows you maybe what people search for the year. The number one thing that first came out, the first thing it said is that people search for hope other than fear. I was like, oh Lord, you done preaching. You done preaching, Jesus. That's what right on Google, the number one search of all of 2014 was hope over fear. Hope. People want hope. You want hope. And if you don't have a vision from God, an idea of what it could be like with Jesus, then you will never have faith to walk out. People say to me, oh, I don't know what to do. The reason why they don't know what to do is they don't have an idea of what to do. And they don't have an idea of what to do is because they don't have hope. The reason why they don't have hope is because Christ isn't in them. Why are y'all quiet today? Why? Tell me, y'all all right? Y'all real quiet on me. The reason why retirement, college, high school, middle school, marriage, dating, singleness, finances, jobs, all there can be hope because of Colossians 1.17. Look with me in Colossians 1.17. This is so good. And again, this is just an intro of what we're doing for the next couple weeks. And like I said, it could be six weeks, could be five weeks, could be seven weeks. I don't know. I'm not going to put a time limit on God. All I can tell you is this. Here we go. I got so much to Oh, I got so much to share, and this is just pouring out of me. Can you tell it's pouring out of me? Like, I'm just not even with my nose. I'm just like, Holy Spirit, lead me. Lead me, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. All right, so that was my solo. Do you like that, Robbie? Now let me sing. All right, here we go. All right, Colossians 1.17. Look at what it says. He, meaning Jesus, is before all things. 
and in him all things what saints Jesus will hold it together. Yes, you will argue. Yes, you might cuss somebody out. Yes, you might lie. Yes, you might say mean things. Yes, you might get in a car, drive off, spend the night at the park. But the next day, when your emotions calm down and the spirit begins to rain back in your life, you will pull back in your driveway. Because he's going to hold all things together. Because you can't live with yourself pulling out when you know the spirit in you is telling you to step up. He's going to hold it together. He's going to hold everything together. He's going to put it all together. He's the only one that can have hope. And it's not just the self-medication because things are bad in my life, so I got to grab me something to drink and self-medicate my pain. What we, don't, we don't need to put alcohol in us. We need to put Jesus in us. We don't need to put somebody else in us. We need to put Jesus in us. We don't need to be putting ourselves in some other, in some, some situation, in some party, in, in somebody's house or job or whatever, in somebody's career when we need Jesus in us. When we put Jesus before all things, then everything becomes stable. You say, no, it doesn't, John. Here's what I know. Your external might not be stable, but inside of you will be stable. And peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whate'er my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Chaos on the outside, peace of God on the inside. Oh, you'll feel the effects of the storm, but you'll walk over them on water. I just have so much. Lord, help me. Hope makes sense out of everything. Go back to Colossians chapter 1. Let me, let's look, start at verse 24. This is, uh, this is one of my favorite sermons I've ever preached is in verse 24, but I'm not going to go there. I, I just love that sermon. Verse 24, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. What is, what is lacking is not our salvation. What is lacking is that people don't know Jesus. So we go out and we minister to others like we do in Ethiopia, like we do in your job, like we do here in your family and everywhere else. And we suffer. We take the blows. Love absorbs the blow, right? Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do as they hurl insults. Love absorbs the blow. Love doesn't respond with hammer. Love responds with blessing. Father, forgive them. Let God be the judge. So all of a sudden we absorb the blow, right? Love absorbs a blow, and all of a sudden, we take on the affliction. We take on the affliction because people don't know Jesus. As John Piper would say, missions exist because worship doesn't. The goal is not missions. The goal is worship. All right, so a little side sermon. For the sake of his body, which is the church, verse 25. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. This is like he's saying, the gospel, Jesus has been revealed. It's been, he's been disclosed to them. God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. God makes sense of everything. He makes sense of everything. So in other words, the reason why all this has been revealed to us is so we can then go tell the world. It, it makes, he just makes sense of everything. And so my goal should be to seek him. Last night I was eating dinner with my family and my wife and Tam Odom was there. And we're eating dinner. And I look over and Jake and my seven-year-old, excuse me, eight-year-old is on my phone, which, you know, he likes to play Clash of Clans and all those other things, right? And so he's on my phone and he's on Twitter. Twitter. My eight-year-old is on Twitter. I look over. My job as a parent. Jakin, what are you doing? I'm on Twitter. You can't even spell Twitter, boy. What's wrong with you? Well, who are you? Who are you looking at? Oh, Dad, I'm looking at Russell Moore. Who's Russell Moore? I'm sorry, not Russell Moore. He's a theologian. I got caught up in theology. Russell Wilson. Who's Russell Wilson? Yes, he's the quarterback for who? 
Yeah, the Seahawks. So the Seahawks. Right. So he's looking at Russell Wilson. I said, Jakin. I said, I follow Russell Wilson on Twitter. He goes, why? He doesn't even know who you are. I about turned around and said, well, tomorrow I ain't going to know who you are when I get done with you, but that's all right. I said, uh, I said, yeah, but that's Twitter. Like, you, you follow people that don't know you. It's legalized stalking. Trust me, you're not going to jail. It's good. And he doesn't understand any of that. And all of a sudden, my wife, who's over there, I thought she was eating, happened to be listening to the conversation, and she busts out something spiritual. I don't need Jesus when I'm talking football. That was a joke. And she turns around and she goes, well, isn't that interesting, John? And I go, Why is it interesting, Lynette? Because if I don't respond, then I'm ignoring. You'll learn that when you get older. Just always nod your head and say yes, and just let her be right. Happy wife, happy life. You know. All right, so I said, yeah, I was like, woohoo! That's right, you better do it. And Michael, and so anyway, and so she goes, well, you know what? Isn't that just like the world? Isn't that just like the world and not like Christians? You know, here it is. We follow people that don't want to know us, but we just, Christians, we should be following Jesus who wants to know us. I wanted to Christian cuss at that moment, but it was so holy, I thought I better not. I'm just kidding. I just went, you win. I don't know what to say. And she goes, well, you know what I mean, John, by that. Yeah, I I know what you mean. Love Jesus. She goes, no, that's the problem. The problem is people always want to follow somebody who's so popular and they could care less about them. They don't even want to know them. They go right past them because they've got their millions and they've got their fame and they've got all this. And then here's Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who wants to love us and we could care less about him and he has everything. And I was like, I said, do you want to preach some more? I did, I said that. And the kids were like, yeah, let her preach. We're tired of hearing you. I'm like, shut up, eat your food or pay for it. All right, so... Uh, just, just kidding. I'm not really wasn't that bad. So, hope is not some uh, otherworldly. It's not ethereal. It's a fancy word. It's not airy. It's not light. It's not some cloud that's mystical. When I say the word hope, hope is an idea that God bursts in our heart because we spend time with Him, because we read His Word, we pray, we meditate, we see. God gives us an idea for an idea, right? That she could be my wife. God, you could be sending her as my wife. That's the idea. Oh, I like the idea. Now I put feet to the idea. I put feet to my prayers and I act on it. That's called faith. Faith is the action. Faith is not the idea. It's the action of the idea. Hope is the idea that has some emotion with it. And that produces love. So hope is the idea, the vision that carries the emotion, and faith is the action. That is what's missing in this world. If we say people, we're just missing faith. We're just missing people that believe in Jesus. The reason why we don't have people believing in Jesus is because we don't have enough people walking around with the hope of Jesus in them. The hope in you, right? That's the idea we have. So that's the first reason. The second reason, here we go, the world needs hope. The second reason, the word for 2015 is hope, is that I am thoroughly convinced, I'm going to use a a word that John Piper uses, and I'm going to explain with some of his quotes. I am thoroughly convinced that this is the battle line for all Christians, and this is what we're going to get to today. This is why, and honestly, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I expect this place to be flooded with people. I'm going to tell you why. Because this is the battle line for all Christians today. This is why it is the word for 2015. It is the word that we need. Hope is the word that we need. It is the battle line. As John Piper calls it this way, the battle against despondency. Despondency is a fancy word. It means joylessness. Uh, It's a synonym. It's hopelessness. It means misery, dejection, depression, unhappiness. The, The battle line is despondency. And the battle is to believe the promises of God or to trust the feelings of despondency. This battle has been raging since the beginning, the Lord showed me. I, I, when, he, when I read that, I went, that's it. The battle line is that the enemy is going to take, in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, uh, take up the shield of faith 
with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. You know what the flaming arrows are? The flaming arrows are the thoughts that the promises of God are not real, that if you follow God, you won't find your wife, you won't find your husband, you won't have a happy life, you won't have finances, he's not worthy, he's not worthy to be followed, trust yourself, don't trust in him, he's a fairy tale. In other words, that's the flaming arrows of the evil one, that all this is a joke. Walk away from it. Create your own world and create your own happiness. The battle line, the fiery darts that, that the enemy does, he doesn't send balls on your head. He doesn't drop this big bomb on you from the sky. What Satan does is he puts in our minds this battle. Can you really trust the promises of God? Can you really trust that that is of him, this idea of hope? Can you really trust that idea? You can't trust that he's going to bring it about. So then you lose hopelessness. I'll never make it out of school. I'll never be able to pay back this debt. I'll always be stuck in this situation. I'll always. That's the battle. The battle is you're never going to be good enough. You're never pretty enough. You're never active enough. You're never smart enough. You're never good enough. That's the battle. The battle. That's the flaming arrows that he's putting at us. This all happened at the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. Turn there in Genesis chapter 3. i got to go fast. Oh, Lord, I'm Genesis chapter 3. I'm just going to go real fast. Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to skip around. Verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, You may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Of course, she added words to what God said. You all know that. Verse 4. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Knowing good and evil. You will be like God. You will be your own God. You will be in control of your situation. You'll be in control of your finances. You'll be in control of everything. You will be your own God. It's doubting the promises of God. Look what happens. Verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. God, I need to know. You don't really know. So let me go ahead and take the fruit. You got me? This has been the battle. That's the flaming arrow of the evil one. He wants you to doubt. He wants you, listen, he wants to just ruin your hope. And Jesus got into a major battle with this. Jesus never sinned. The Bible says he was sinless, but it wasn't like he didn't feel everything that we feel. And I'm going to show you in Scripture, I'm at the book, that you're going to see where there was a battle. Jesus battled with despondency. He, debat, he battled with hopelessness. He battled because what Satan does is he wants you to get to the point where you say, no God, your promises aren't real and you will abort the very mission that God has called you to do. Listen, I just want, I would never speak personally to y'all because I would never want to embarrass you, but I want to tell you that the enemy is going to get you to doubt through a relationship breakup, through something not going the way you want it to do. He's going to get you to doubt. He's going to get you to doubt his plan for his life so that you will abort the mission. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to get you to doubt. You can't trust God, so you abort God. You abort his plan and do your own thing. Now the enemy is one. Those are the flaming arrows of the evil one. And you have to keep walking with the idea of hope. That's your faith, right? Your action is your faith. That's your shield of faith. Your shield of faith puts out the flaming arrows. So we continue to do Ethiopia. We continue to do ministry downtown. We continue to do ministry to everybody that we can here and abroad. We continue to just be global as we can and local as we can at the same time. Not because one's better than the other. We're just going to all nations. And so we have to act out our faith. That's how you put out the darts. That's how you put out despondency. You move with God. You act out what your hope is. When we don't trust the promises of God, then we see things we wouldn't normally see. What happened to Adam and Eve? What happened when they ate the tree on uh, the knowledge of good and evil? What did they see about themselves? They were what? Right. You begin to see the things you don't have rather than the person you... That was really good. That was really good. See, the flaming air wants you to see what you don't have. I don't have money, I'm single, I don't have a career, I don't have this, my grandchildren are going, they don't follow in Jesus. And they want, the enemy wants you to see what you don't have, so you abort. And God wants you to see what you do have, which is his promise, and you go, but John, his promises take long. And the answer to that is, yes. Yes. Well, why do I have to wait? 
I don't know. Ask him when you get to heaven. I don't know the answer to that. All I do know that when he does answer, he will give you so much so fast that you'll forget about what you didn't have for those years. I looked at Robbie this morning, and I was like, Robbie, you had to wait two years, you know, for what's going on in your life. And he said, and I said, some people look at that and say, that was a long wait. He said, yeah, but it was a good wait, meaning because he got closer to Jesus. That's the idea behind this. So I've got to, some people get ungrateful. They say, I just feel ungrateful. Well, let's just kind of look at the person, my, my famous theologian about people that are ungrateful. Can we, can we just kind of show this little clip of my, my, my theologian in my life that, that kind of can tell, just make it big screen and make it loud enough for them. I want them to see about what some people look like when they're ungrateful. And I think he, you know, remarks and responds to that. So check this out. Sorry, I threw that on you at the last second. You have to forgive me. The Lord says. I thought that might make you laugh a little bit, let you see about ungrateful. That's what the world needs. It's going to be a battle. You're going to be in a battle this year for your hope. And you're going to have to deal with the flaming arrows. So you're going to have to deal with despondency. Jesus went through this. Let me briefly show you. Here we go. John uh, 12, 27. John, you, don't have to, you don't have to turn there, but I want you to write it down. I want you to go back. Maybe Lord willing, if the Lord lays it on your heart, spend some time with this passage. John chapter 12, 27. Jesus says this. Now my heart is what saints troubled despondency my heart is is god really going to do what he says he's going to do which is save the world or should i abort this mission should i abort this mission jesus put it like this in matthew 26 he says man i my soul is deeply grieved i'm deeply troubled you know god should i just step out should i just let this he puts it this way let this cup pass from me God, let, let, it, let it just pass. Is there another way? In other words, it wasn't, Jesus didn't sin. What he was doing was he was showing us the battle, and he's going to teach us how to handle despondency. He's going to teach us how to handle how, what a hope can do. Matthew 26, 37 uh, through 38 says this. He, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. There it is again, troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Verse 39, going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, Father, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And here's what Piper said. What Satan wanted to produce in Jesus was a spirit of despondency, a spirit of of unhappiness, a spirit of God's not going to come through, a spirit of depression, a spirit of hurt, a spirit of pain. He wanted the spirit of despondency. Of joylessness, hopelessness, misery, dejection. He wants you to think that way. And so that despondency would sing unopposed, and that then then Jesus would resign not to carry out what his father had given him to do. 
And that's what he wants to put in your life. I'm not fast enough. I'm not big enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not this. So I'm not going to stand up for Jesus wherever I am. Homeschool, middle school, high school, what it don't matter. So you're gonna, you're gonna, he's going to get you to think you're less than so you will think that God is less than. The demonic thought that Calvary, he said, would be meaning, a meaningless black hole. It's so horrendous it ought to make the soul of Christ shudder. The first shockwaves of despondency broke into the soul of Jesus, he said. And we see it. My soul is troubled. In John chapter 13, you can read it. This is even in the midst of Satan going in, into Judas's heart. And then Judas is going to be out and, and telling, uh, the, you know, the chief priest and saying, hey, let's go over here and get Jesus. And in the middle of that, Jesus is going to say, man, I, my soul is troubled. But then all of a sudden, what did Jesus do? I love, I love what... Piper say, how did Jesus fight in the dark hour? How do you fight in the dark hour? Here's what I want you to see. In the midst of that dark hour, John 12, he says, my soul is troubled. I am overwhelmed. I am troubled. 13, I am troubled. Then all of a sudden, Jesus breaks out. As Judas is betraying him, Jesus looks at the disciples and says this. In John 14, verse 1, let not your heart be what, saints? Believe in God. Believe also me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Verse 3, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. Don't let your heart be troubled because God has got a bigger plan. Jesus fought the trouble of his soul with the very word of God and the promises of God. That's hope, my friends. That's how you battle despondency. That's how you battle it. And then all of a sudden, even one of his own disciples says, we don't know the way. Jesus, we don't even know the way to all these mansions. We don't know the way. And Jesus says in verse 6, and you know it because it's so popular. Jesus says, I am the what? The truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That's how you battle it. That's how you jump in. So the first wave of the battle is this. The first way, I mean, look, in John 1, John 14, verse 1, Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Then all the way in 27, he goes, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Because you see, despondency, hopelessness, dejection, depression always produces fear. Fear always locks us up not to do anything. That's why people who are depressed stay in their house and never want to come out, and it just creates a more vicious cycle when what they need to do is get out. Get out. And we need to go get them and pull them out, kicking and screaming. That is what despondency does. It produces fear and locks us up. There's nothing's no good. Jesus is never going to come through. Only bad things happen to good people. So I'm just going to sit here and be still and be quiet and lock in my little world. No, God has a bigger plan and a bigger plan. And his mansions are great. And his presence is awesome. But we've got to trust him. The first wave, how do we fight it? How do we fight it? We trust the promises of God. So John Piper kind of wrote this. The first battle wave, I added all this stuff. When we feel disheartened and hopeless, because someone is going away, or we've lost someone, or we feel the future is hopeless. He says the first wave is don't give in, trust in Jesus. Right? John 14, verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And then the Holy Spirit took me to write John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 20, it says this, I give them eternal life and they, will, they shall never perish. That means even if somebody's died on this earth, they are not gone. They are not here, but they're not dead. They shall never perish, he says. I believe the word of God. No one can snatch them out of my hand. So what Jesus is saying here is he's saying that we are in his hand and no one can snatch us out. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let despondency ruin you. Don't let whatever happens fight for your hope. Don't let it happen. He says, I, you are in my hand. Then he goes on to say this, verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. So he's saying, we're in Jesus' hand. And then in the next verse, he says, I'm in the father's hand. We're in lockdown pretty strong. Then he says this, I and the Father are one. First battle wave, 
I added that. First battle wave. So the first wave we push back to the flaming arrows is this. Listen, saints, listen to me. If you don't get anything else, get this. The first wave is trust in God. Don't give in. The second wave is this. Choose some close friends to be with you. What did he do in Matthew chapter 26? He chose some close friends. Peter, James, John, come on, let's get to inner three, right? And he goes, I want you to go with me a little further. And he falls down, and he's in anguish. He's troubled. He's sweating drops of blood, and he's praying. He's letting them, those three, be with him in the midst of that. Let some people in. Quit isolating yourself. That's why we're going to have people down front, deacons and elders and mighty prayer warriors, Mrs. Scott, sitting right there, that wonderful sweet saint right there. She'll be back in the prayer room, people, because when we get done in here, we know that God's not done working with you. You can be back there praying. She'll be in the prayer room. People in there, Kim, Martin, people praying with you. But I believe we need some hope. I believe we need to battle. And sometimes it's not even a battle for us. Sometimes it's a battle for other people. See, there goes Mrs. Scott right now waiting for you to come. She's an awesome woman of God. The third battle wave is that Jesus opened his soul to them. What did he say in Matthew chapter uh, 26, verse 38? What did he say to them in verse 38? Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He opened up, open up your soul to people. Open up your soul to the Lord. Just open up today. Just open up your soul. Quit being embarrassed. Quit being ashamed. Listen, there's, listen, there's only one judge. His name is Jesus. None of us, we don't look at anybody any, any different. We need hope. I'm going to be begging God for hope for this church, for my family, for this campus. We need hope. And this is all online. You can see these notes. Like Piper said, he opened his soul to them. The fourth battle wave, Jesus asked for their intercession and partnership in the battle, he said. In other words, he asked them to pray. Let people intercede with you. Let people pray over you. They might get a word from God that gives you this much of a, of a stimulus that makes you take one step forward and God begins to open a mighty door. All it just takes is a, look, all we need is a nod from God. As Tommy Tenney said, all you need is a nod from God. Just one nod is all you need. God says one thing. One thing, he just says yes to us. Boom. I'm getting ready to land it, don't worry. The fifth battle wave, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus poured out his heart to his father in prayer. Oh man, the enemy is attacking my throat. Jesus poured out his heart to the father in prayer. What did he say? Father, let this cup pass from me. In other words, let me abort the mission. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will. He poured out his heart and he stayed true to the mission. Today, do you need to pour out your heart to God for you, for someone else, for your family? Who? I expect us today to flood the very throne room of Jesus with prayers saying, God, we need you. We need you. We can trust you. Jesus is our wedding ring. He will always come through. Always. We pour out our heart to the Father. And so what do we do is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. And guess what he got to do at the end of the verse? He sat down at the right hand of the Father. That's what he got to do because he fixed, his, uh, he fixed his eyes on the Father. We fix our eyes on Jesus. He will not let you down. He is worthy. He is worthy, but you have to fight against despondency. And the way you fight is that you trust him and you don't give in and you let other people in. You pour out your heart to them and then you pour out your heart to God and reset the button of your spirit on to Jesus and keep your eyes on Jesus. We will need hope this year. And the hope is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Father, who will come and just pray? We'll come right now. Lord, I know there'll be prayer warriors to come down front and pray over people. 
They don't even have to be asked by me to be a prayer warrior. You're prompting them in their spirit to come and pray over some people. So, Lord, give them the courage and strength to have faith, to get up out of their seat and come and pray over people. Lord, let us get on our knees. Let us just get, lay flat if we have to and just get, get on our face in front of you and say, God, we need hope. There are some people that we're around us, around us that need hope. And we're asking you, Lord, we receive that you'll never save that person. You'll never move in that person. You'll never do this for that person. You might never do this for me. You'll do it for Billy Graham or you'll do it for somebody great, but you won't do it for me. God, those are, those are words from the enemy. Those are words of despondency. Those are flaming arrows, and we have to walk now in faith. We have to take action, get out of our seats, get on our knees, and begin to pray and pour out our heart to you and let others pour out their hearts over us and see what you do. God, send us hope. I'm asking you hope for this wonderful church, this church that I love dearly, Lord, that's closer to me than a brother. This, they are my family. They are my best friends. They're the ones that I call my home. Lord, we need hope. Christ in us the hope of glory. Pour out your spirit upon us today, Lord. As we come and we intercede and ask for hope for ourselves, we ask for hope for others, we ask hope for our family, for our children, for our grandchildren, for people at our job, and we ask for a hope for our future spouse. We ask for hope that we will get out of our seats and do business with God and not be ashamed of the spirit working within us. It is not that uneasy feeling that we feel right now, Lord. It's not it's not something that's us. It is you prompting us, and we just have to obey. So, Lord, may I and hope today believe that people are going to get out of their seats, trust and obey you, and get on their face in front of the Lord, and you begin to do a mighty work in us. We love you, Lord. We trust you. You are good. Help us to not give in this year. Help us to not give in to what the world tries to paint us in a corner. God, we know you are bigger in the corner because you own the whole world and the universe, and you've even named every star. We trust you, Lord. As people are praying over one another, ministering over one another, the prayer room's open, all that. Lord, do a mighty work in us today. As Robbie and Jenna, as they sing over us prophetically, Lord, we ask for a movement of God. And Lord, if there's someone in this room who doesn't have Christ in them, they have Christ around them because they have friends that know you, they have maybe parents that know you, or maybe that they've seen you on TV, that you've been around them, but you've never been inside them. Lord, may they realize today that their sins sins stand between you and them. And the only one who can wash them away is Jesus. And the only way for that to happen is to believe in a heart that Jesus died on the cross and God, you rose him from the dead and we surrender our lives to you. That is our prayer today. God, do a mighty work. Do a miracle. Lord, flood this place with your presence. Flood us today. Lord, you are so good. We believe and trust in you. In Jesus' name.